Yeah, I was thinking about that. It seems like just a few years ago, my son was starting kindergarten, and now he's 33 years old, pastoring a church, and his youngest just started kindergarten, and it went by just like that, zip, and it was gone. That's how change happens, doesn't it? Change comes, and it comes fast. There was a uh, TV commercial a few years ago that talked about life comes at you fast, and it really does. And, you know, so much of it we have no control over. We're constantly called upon to deal with change. And change happens in our lives. I thought about that when we were putting this about 15 years ago uh, in our old church down at the other end of the boulevard. We were starting a new service on Wednesday night called a seeker service. And it was designed to try to reach the unchurched and the younger generation. And so one of our pastors who was involved in the preaching of it, he uh, came up with an idea. He said, we're not going to have the pulpit. We're just going to have a stool out there because that's the new innovative thing is for a preacher not to have a pulpit and to just have a stool. Well, that's not so innovative anymore. But I thought about it this morning for me. We didn't put this stool here because it was innovative or it was cool. We put it here because I've gotten old and my knees are giving out. And so I told Dale, let's have a stool up there just in case I don't make it through the three services. I'll have some place to sit. What I want to do today is talk to you a little bit about change. And I want us to think about it and think about how it happens, why it happens, how we handle it when it happens, and how God brings us through change. Because there are all kinds of changes in our lives, aren't there? I mean, there are those just life-altering changes that come about. That can be a, a death in the family or an illness that comes up. You know, and you go to the doctor and he gives you that devastating news. And it changes everything about your lives. Then there can be the minor kind of changes that go on that we deal with each and every day. They can be as small and mundane as underwear. And the reason I share that with you is I just discovered recently that my brand of underwear that I've worn for years and years and years doesn't exist anymore. That company has gone out of business. They don't make that kind of underwear again. <laughs> and that's, that's life-changing. It really is. I've had to adjust. <laughs> I feel kind of like uh, Dustin Hoffman's character in Rain Man, you know, where he kept telling his brother, Charlie, he said, you know, that's not my underwear. I get my underwear at Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I got mine at Walmart, and they don't carry that kind anymore, and I'm dealing with it. And so if you see me tugging a little bit today, that, <laughs> don't think anything about it. I'm just adjusting to change. <laughs> but we do have all kinds of changes. And this morning, to start off, I want us to turn to the book of Ruth. And so if you go ahead and turn there and get into the first chapter of Ruth, and I'm going to kind of set the backstory for where we're going to pick up the story of Ruth actually begins with a woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi and her husband are living in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And the famine comes during the time of the judges. And it tells us there in the first few verses that they move and go to the land of Moab because the, the resources are better there. And they have their two sons, and their two sons marry Moabite women while they're there. And, and life is going on, and life is fairly good. And then Naomi's husband dies, and her two sons die. And suddenly Naomi is faced with having lost all of this that was her life. And on top of that, times have gotten bad in Moab, and she's faced with another choice, another change. And so we pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 1. 
It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where, he was with her two daughter, where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So what she's saying to him is, look, you don't need to come with me. I'm, I'm just a mother-in-law. You know, go back to your family. Go back to your mother's house. It says, the Lord grant that you may find rest, in verse 9, each of you in the house of her husband. So go and find a new husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to my people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husband? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman, women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, so that passage of Scripture kind of sets up what's going on in the life of Naomi. And she's experienced a great deal of change. Said she's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She's lost all of the things that kind of structured her life and, and gave it meaning. And some of you today are sitting here dealing with change in your life that actually very similar to Naomi. You're dealing with change that maybe you've lost a spouse or a parent. Some of you in here have lost children. And you're dealing with that aspect of your life and trying to figure out how to handle it. And to be honest, trying to figure out how you feel about it. And other, others of us are not dealing so much with that, but we're dealing with change as well. We're having things that are happening and going on, and we've got to figure out, okay, what's the next step? What do we do? And so as I said, today we're going to look at change and, and think about it a little bit. And one of the first things I want you to understand and realize about change and be honest about change is, change is hard because it reminds us that we're not in control. 
See, think about all the things that were happening to Naomi. None of these things that she have any control over. She didn't have any control over the death of her husband. She didn't have control over the death of her children. It's all just bombarding her and hitting her. And that's where we are so often in life. We're there with no idea or no concept of how this even happened to us. It's not what we planned. It's not what we expected. But here we are, and we've got to deal with it. And it's hard to deal with it because we don't like that. We, we like to have those things in which we control. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here today would say, I'm one of those people that really hates change. I just don't like to see change. Let's see. Come on, be honest. How many people say, I don't like change? Okay, now how many are on the other end of the spectrum? You're that person who says, whoopee, change, I love it. Let's change, change, change. Okay, a couple of interesting things that happened here. Ones who ripped their hands, some of the ones who said, I love change. They're the young folks over here. They say, we want change. But the more interesting thing is, there's some couples out there, and I noticed one of them said, not me, I don't want any change. And the other one's going, change, change, change. Y'all probably need some counseling. <laughs> and y'all call the church office and just ask for Ronnie West, and you can get all the counseling you need and want out of that. But I'm going to say something to you. I don't care which end of the spectrum you're on. The truth is the matter of the matter is, you don't like all change, and you don't hate all change. See, we like some change, and we dislike other change. We dislike any change that we're not in control of. I don't care what it is. We dislike it if we don't have some way to control it. And we're okay with change if we can control it. For instance, several of you ladies in here, I, I've known you for years, and you've got a different hairstyle than you had when I first met you and got to know you. That's a change you like. You made that choice. You did it. Some of us men in here, we have a different hairstyle. It wasn't our choice. It just happened. <laughs> But we like the change that we can control. When I was a kid growing up, that was an expression that all the peop older people used. Whenever something new would come along that they liked, they would say, that's the best thing since. Anybody know what the answer is? Sliced bread. Now, some folks in here understand that, know what that means. Others are going, I've heard it and I don't have a clue what it means. That's because you've always had sliced bread. This group over here, they've always had sliced bread. They just reach in that loaf, you know, untangle the little thing, open it up, reach in, grab as many slices as you want to make your sandwich. Some of you remember back when you had just a loaf of bread, you had to stop, you had to slice it. You tried to get them all the same size. They never were. And that's why, folks, when sliced bread came along, that was a great invention for people. In fact, Sliced bread was such a great invention that ever since then, it's been the standard by which we measure every other invention, isn't it? The greatest thing since sliced bread. This morning, I want to show you what is actually the greatest thing since sliced bread. Maybe better than sliced bread. It's the TV remote. <laughs> Grand and glorious invention. Now, some of you remember as kids who said, my dad had TV remote. He'd just say, boy, get up and change the channel. And, you, you know, he didn't have to ever get up. But TV remote is great. And men, we protect the TV remote, don't we? Yes. It's, you notice I just bring mine with me. Sue so can't even use it at home. <laughs> I just carry it with me everywhere I go. But no, we protect. We don't want our wives to have a hold of it. We don't want our children to ever touch it. it it's ours. We're in control. We can change the channel when we want. We can change to the stereo. We can change to the DVD. We're in control. What a great invention. 
Have you ever thought about how nice it would be if it worked other places? You know, you're there and somebody comes up and they just start talking about something that you don't care about or they start fussing at you and you just go mute. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Or you get home from work, guys, and the wife has had all these problems that she wants to talk about and you don't want to talk about them and you just change the channel. <laughs> It'd be great to do that. We love being in control of change. But it's hard when we're not in control. And that's what we have to learn how to deal with. We say, I don't like change, but I'm okay with change that I institute. I'm okay with change that's my choice. But change is hard when it reminds us that we're not in control. Another thing about change is that change hurts because it moves us out of our comfort zones. We like our comfort zones in life. You know, we look at the story of Naomi here. That's one of her problems. She got moved out of her comfort zone, didn't she? I mean, she's there with a husband who's taking care of her, sons who are there to help take care of her. You know, as long as she's got her husband, as long as she's got her sons, everything's pretty secure. Her future's all right. And then when they die, she pretty much loses all that. She doesn't have any land anymore. She doesn't have those things that gave her comfort and gave her purpose and gave her meaning. In fact... She listened to that story when they went back to Judah. And she arrived says the other women came running up and they're going, Look, it's Naomi. Isn't that Naomi? I think that is Naomi. And what was her response? Do you remember? She said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, to us that sounds you know, a little bit strange. You know, if I went back to my hometown, they came up, Hey, look, it's Mike. Said, Don't call me Mike. Call me Jeff. See, listen to what Naomi was saying. The name Naomi means pleasure. The name Mara means bitter. She says, don't call me a woman who has pleasure. Call me a woman who has been dealt with bitterly. See, she's been moved out of her comfort zone. And all of us have and cling to our comfort zones. Because we are by creation a pattern-making creature. We have certain ways we like to do things. We have certain things we like. We have certain things we don't like. We develop those patterns in our lives and we cling to them. I've shared with y'all before when I was preaching that great example in my family of pattern-making problems and conflicts that can go on is when Sue and I first got married and we came to Christmas time and we came to time to decorate the tree. And I had my family pattern that I had learned growing up of how you decorated a Christmas tree. And she had her family pattern that she had learned in her family of how to decorate a Christmas tree. And they didn't know what they were doing. It was totally wrong because it wasn't anything like my pattern. And so the first Christmas, we had to make some major decisions about how we would decorate. And it's kind of evolved through the years to the point where I just stay out of the way and let her do whatever she wants and we're both fine with that but we're pattern creating people another great example of this idea of pattern making in our lives is found in a tv show called the big bang theory anybody in here ever watched that show you know who sheldon is 
for those of you that have never watched the show, really the show, basically to boil it down very quickly, is about four nerdy professors who uh, really don't function well in the rest of the world and with the rest of society. They only function well in that academia. And uh, Sheldon is one who doesn't function well anywhere. And he is the master of patterns. Everything's got to be a certain way, and Sheldon knows best because he's the world's smartest man. And so it's all got to be his way. And one of the things, storylines, that continues throughout the whole TV show is Sheldon's seat. Sheldon has determined the optimum place for him to sit. And he does it in various places, but in their apartment, there is a sofa, and Sheldon always sits on the left-hand end, the last cushion of the sofa. That's his spot. That's his cushion. And if people come over and sit in his seat, Sheldon just very quickly and very ruthlessly tells them, that's my seat, you got to move. And it's hilarious to watch it go on, but I think the reason it is so hilarious is because it is us. If you don't believe me, let's do a little experiment. Now don't be embarrassed, because you're going to be in the majority with this. How many of you are sitting in basically the same place you sit in every Sunday morning here at church. Look around. Why is that? Because we're pattern-making people. We develop our comfort zones. And there can be a variety of reasons that you sit there. You may, I can't sit over there because I can feel the air condition. I can't sit there because uh, the sound's a little too loud. Or I can't sit there because I can't quite hear there. Or I can't sit there because that guy sits behind me if I sit there and he sings so badly I can't stand it. I got to move somewhere else. But we develop our places. We develop our comfort zones. And change hurts because it moves us out of our comfort zones. So change is hard, and change can hurt. But I want you to understand something else about change. Change can be healthy because it can move us to new and better situations. So we're following the story of Naomi here. She's bombarded with all of these changes in her life that she has no control over, all the deaths that take place. But then we see her making a change that she institutes and so she is leaving Moab, where she's been, and she's going back to Judah. And we're going to follow that along in just a moment and see what happens. But we're going to see that God is using that change in her life to take her to a new and to a better situation. There is a writer and a poet with a kind of strange name of C. Joy Bell C., and I don't know anything about her theology, about her faith, whether she's a believer or not. I don't know anything about her politics or any of that. But I just like this quote that she has. And it's about change. And she says, we should not be afraid of change. She says, you might be secure with the pond you're in. But if you never venture out of the pond, you're never going to discover that there's such a thing as an ocean in a sea. She says, something that you're holding on to right now in your life because it's good may be the very thing that's keeping you from discovering something better. Now, having said that, I want to caution you. Don't use those words of advice in every area of your life. For instance, ladies, don't run home and start packing your husband's bags because you're saying, I'm getting rid of this one because I got something better out there. 
Whatever you're going to do, do it in the context of the leading and the direction of God and the Holy Spirit, okay? But some of us need to hear that. We need to understand that change can be good in our lives because we tend to resist it. When Sue and I were first married, my mom had a new neighbor, a little girl by the name of Nicole. And Nicole would come down to visit my mom and daddy, and she would bring with her her Siamese cat. And she'd bring it on a leash. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Siamese cats, but Siamese cats pretty much have a mind of their own. They want to do whatever they want to do on their own. They don't want to follow any directions. Well, Nicole would come with the Siamese cat. And mom and daddy lived out in the country on a farm, so it was down a dirt road. And you could see her coming from the distance. And Nicole would be coming with the leash out full length, and back behind her would be that Siamese cat, just like this. And she would drag the cat all the way down the dirt road to come visit mama and daddy. And you know what? I sometimes feel God must feel like Nicole. To get us where he wants us to go, he's got to just drag us resisting all the way because we don't like change. And yet, when we read in the scriptures and look at the great characters of the Bible, one of the things we discover is their lives are filled with change, and it's in the process of change that God moves them and makes them into what he wants them to be, moves them into the situations they need to be in to impact the world. Just think through it. Think about a fellow by the name of Abram. In chapter 12 of Genesis, God comes to Abram and tells him, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your land, your kindred, your father's people. In other words, leave everything you're comfortable with, everything you know, and I want you to go someplace. I'll tell you where it is later. That's a pretty big change, isn't it? And then later on in, in chapter 17, he comes to him and he says, oh, by the way, no longer are you going to be called Abram. I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Another pretty big change. And then over in chapter 21, he tells us that Sarah, his wife, in their old age, and to really get the good English translation of that, you've got to put a whole lot of olds in there. In their old, 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 very old age, she bore him a son. Now that's a big change. And all through the life of Abraham, we see over and over again the changes that come, and him responding to them in faith, and making mistakes along the way, but responding and moving where God wants him to go. We look at Joseph, all the changes that went on in his life. Daniel, Paul. The Bible is filled with people with change and responding to change. So there's some of us here today who need to hear that. Because we're resisting change that God's trying to bring in our lives. Individually, corporately, in our families. But we need to listen for God's voice in that. George Bernard Shaw said, progress can't happen without change. And he says, and a person who won't change their mind can't change anything. Change can be healthy because it can move us to a new and better situation. But I want to share one other thing with you today about change. And that's this. Change can be handled because we have contact with an unchanging God. If you struggle with change, if you're struggling with the change that go, is going on in your life right at the moment, or if you're one of those persons who just always struggles with change, doesn't want anything to change, listen to these truths. 
No matter how much everything else is changing around you, God's love for you never changes. He tells us that in Jeremiah. He says, my love is an everlasting love. You know, I find great strength and hope and purpose in that. Because it means no matter what, God loves me. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I've dealt with a lot of change in my life. And as I've dealt with that change, sometimes I've gotten it right. And sometimes I've gotten it wrong. And sometimes I've gotten it horribly wrong. But God still loves me. God still cares. God's still there walking with you. And when you make a misstep, his purpose is to get you back on track because he loves you. And that's never going to change, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad you blow it, or no matter how good you think you're doing and how great a success you are. It's not going to change. Then the second thing to remember is this. God's word never changes. In Isaiah, he tells us that about his word. He says, it is forever steadfast. It stands forever. We have at our disposal God's word, God's promises, God's direction, God's guidance. And it's never going to fail us. Now, sometimes we have trouble figuring out exactly what it means. We read it and go, okay, that's great. How do I do that? But his word will never fail us. It's always constant. It's always there. And then the plans of God will never fail you. They're never going to change. Tells us in Psalms that God's plans stand forever. You know what that means? It means if you messed up yesterday, it didn't change the plans that God has for you. Several years ago, I was helping one of our then staff members do some work at his house. And we were putting up some molding and doing some of that. And we cut one piece. And when we went to put it up, I realized we had cut it wrong. You know, one of those crown molding things where you got to get all the compound angles and everything right. And we'd done it backwards, as we often did. But I went to put it up, realized it was wrong. And I uttered the phrase that so many of us have uttered in that situation. Uh-oh. And out of the other room, I hear his wife go, no, no uh-ohs when you're working on my room. I don't like uh-ohs. But we utter a lot of uh-ohs in life, don't we? But one thing you're never going to hear God say is, uh-oh. Because nothing takes him by surprise. You see, my plans have changed a lot through the years. I never intended to be one that was in the ministry. I never intended to be one that was going to stand up in front of people and talk. In fact, I had chosen a profession that I thought I could hide away in my business office and nobody would ever bother me. But all of that changed. My plans changed because I don't know the future. I don't know all that's going to happen down the road, but I serve a God who's unchanging and who knows all of that, and his plans didn't change. I thought they were this. God knew all along it was this, and he's brought me into his plans. And that's what he'll do in your life as well. I want you to look ahead to the end of the book of Ruth there in chapter 4 now keep in mind where we've been with Ruth as we followed her through this 
Everything that she thought was important was taken away from her. Everything that was part of her pattern was taken away from her. Everything that was in her comfort zone was taken away from her. She's come back. In fact, she's come back with a sense that God has done this to me. I don't know why, but he has. He's changed me from pleasure to bitterness. But what we discover is that Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, continue to follow God even though they don't understand all of it. And then in chapter 4, verse 13... We read this. So Boaz, now Boaz is a gentleman who comes into the picture, and you need to read the rest of the book to get all of that. But he comes in and takes the role of, of kinsman redeemer, which is, again, something I don't have time to go into today, but it's a plan and a purpose uh, that God has. And it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And remember, she'd lost her, her sons. She had no heritage, no line going on. He says, the Lord has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And then looking ahead, here's what we find. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Now think about that. A few chapters earlier, this woman comes back and says, No, just call me bitter. My life is filled with bitterness. Not blessing. And now in chapter 4, it says, God has not left you. He has brought to you a blessing. A grandson whose name is Obed. But it doesn't stop there because it says, Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of David, king of Israel. And if you follow the lineage on into the New Testament... Who is in that line? Jesus himself. You see, when change comes, it can scare us. It can hurt us. But it can also be a blessing. And even in those horrible life-altering changes that we would never wish for, never wish for again, the scripture says, God can work together for good to them that love the Lord. And who are called according to his purpose. And that's been one of the most mistranslated, misused verses in all the scripture. It doesn't say that everything that happens to you as a child of God is good. But it says if you follow God and trust him, God can bring you out of any situation, out of any change. And bring blessing back into your life. Just recently, I was talking with a woman who'd lost her husband. And she said, I'm going to get through it because of God. She goes, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where I discover if my faith is real or not. Do I trust him now? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think about change in your life. Some of you are dealing with that change that came out of nowhere. 
and to be honest right now, has ripped your heart apart. A loss. A situation that you just didn't see coming. But I want to say to you, you can handle it. Because you have access to an unchanging, all-loving, all-knowing God. And some of you today are sitting there confronted with some change and you just don't want anything to do with it. In fact, your mantra is, I never change. Let me ask you something. How can you surrender your life to God and not be willing to change? That's a major change right there. And that's what some of you need to do here this morning. God brought you here for the purpose of understanding that you need a change in your life. A radical, life-altering change. See, today God is showing you that the situation you're in is because you're trusting in yourself. and You've trusted in doing it your way. And you discovered now that it doesn't work. Can't get yourself out of that. You've made too many mistakes. You need somebody to rescue you. And you need to change from depending on yourself to depending on the one who provided. An unchanging God who gave his son to die on the cross and pay the price for your sin. That you might become a new creation that you might have new life. What a marvelous change that is. For some of you today, you need to make that decision this morning. You need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You need to say, I'm willing to change. Jesus, work your change in me. Others of you maybe need to come, take one of the pastors by the hand in just a moment and say, I need to change churches. I need to join this church. This is where God is calling me to be. Others, you maybe need just to come up here and kneel because what's hit you in life is just overwhelming. And you need to just come and lay it at the cross. Lay it at the foot of Jesus. Surrender it to God. Say, God, show me how to handle it. Maybe you need to say to him, God, I understand today my strength is not enough. But I believe your strength is sufficient. God, I give it over to you. Maybe some of you need to just come and pray, God, what is the change in my life? I know there's something, Lord, but I'm not sure what it is. I, I feel it, but I can't identify yet. God, would you just show it to me? Whatever it is you need to do today, whatever God's showing you as you've had your heads bowed and been in tune and in touch with him, you need to do today. You need to step out and come. We're going to stand. We're going to begin to sing. Pastors are going to be here at the front. What's God calling you to do this morning? Would you step out and come? Let's stand.